We know of new methods of attack. The Trojan Horse, the fifth column. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to yet another amazing edition of the Fifth Column Podcast. We have a special one for you today. Because as I was just telling our guest, and it's always annoying because you've seen the description, you know who it is. <laughs> There's no reveal that you complete annoying people. We love you. We love our <laughs> listeners, but you're very, very persistent. Get Vivek, get Vivek, get Vivek, right? It sounds like a great name of a great it's film. either him or way. RFK Jr. It's RFK very, Jr. Very get, but, but Vivek, by the way, before he was running for president. That's true. So now it's slightly different. Because ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we have Vivek Ramaswamy, who's running for president as a Republican, who's running all around the country trying to convince people of um, his worthiness to occupy the White House. But here's the thing. Right before we start, if we had done this before he was running for president, it'd be different questions. Be different. Now I have to question the guy like he's going to be president. That's right. You can do either. I know, I'm but I want – I'm mad. Do it. I got to do the thing I'm that I'm down. pressuring you. Vivek, <laughs> good to be how out. the hell are you? I'm doing well. I mean, right. I started uh, this morning in Ohio oh. by way of a stop in Miami that I made earlier today that you guys might have seen. I'm now seen that. We'll talk about in, that. Yeah. Uh, in New York City, spending the yeah. night here and going to Iowa tomorrow. Jesus Christ. <laughs> and so, yeah, it's, such is the life. But it's, it's pretty good. I, and one of the things I love is about the campaign trail. It's pretty interesting is when you go on vacation, one of the things that you know, many people, certainly our family, et cetera, would try to do is you try to meet the people of the place where you go. And it's a hard thing to do, actually, as a tourist. You have to go and, like, yes. make up some concocted experience and, yes. you know, really make some local effort. And yet, that's what this whole journey is actually all about. Mm. Now, not every place is, you know, the southeast, southern coast of Italy or anything like that. Yes. But it's not the natural beauty that actually makes the difference of traveling a place anyway. And so we're trying to do it as much as we can as a family and it's kind of a gift. You know, it, you, you it, see the country and yeah. you get the people of a place. But you, there's no way you're going to say no to this. But and it seems like a sort of boring, tedious question. But are you enjoying it? Because I yeah. don't, I mean, I've I'm, I'm enjoying around it like 80%. 80%. What yeah. is, what's the 20% that you don't there's like? There's a lot of administrative baggage <laughs> yes. that comes with this. You want to be president, you know. You know, exactly. <laughs> and it's just like some of that I would rather take a sharp poke in the eye over yeah. the administrative baggage that comes with this. But taking the administrivia aside, mm -hmm. the essence of it. Yeah. I actually love. You do? Yes, I do. And I think that I love it most when I feel untethered to the result. And and I think that's one of the things that I often say in the campaign trail, but remind myself of every day is that I would rather speak truth at every step, share my actual beliefs, and you know what? Lose the election can, if needed, can, than yeah. to just play political snakes and ladders and win. And our whole bet is that that's the winning strategy. Can you well, we'll say find out. what we just gave you a fifth column t-shirt and which is going I to invite a number of people to say, why aren't you selling the Be Brave Ball Call Bullshit t-shirts? But is it not the case that you can say what you want because you have money? And that's that, honestly, <laughs> I, honestly, I can, and that's the it's, liberating. It's it's, it's the liberating money, part of this, right? It really is, and and I'm grateful to live the full arc of the American dream. This country has given me a lot, but I'm not going to find myself in the position that I am to then become somebody's puppet. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to be someone's circus monkey. And what's really revealing about this process is how much the donor class views the politician class as their circus monkeys. So you don't need the donors. No, no, not mega donors. I think we need small dollar donors. I mean, first of all, we need we need we needed forty thousand small dollar donors to get me on the debate stage, yeah. which we met three months in advance of the first debate. Yeah. 
but we wrote a 10 plus million dollar check. We're going to put in more 40,000 plus small dollar donors in the first number of weeks. That's the character of this campaign. Now, if somebody's a billionaire and they want to give money, I'll absolutely meet with them. No problem. But there's not going to have a special influence on what I do or don't say. And the thing that really irritates the heck out of me is there is this expectation. There is a certain entitlement that the professional donor class has towards, frankly, people who are in my position. How do, how do you experience that? How? Oh, 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 just, I mean, the dynamic of even, even a conversation. I mean, it's one thing with like a voter that actually is engaged in conversation that's different opinion than yours. It's another that somebody thinks they're your coach, right? Or somebody that actually worse than thinking they're your coach sort of complains about how you actually behaved in that meeting. You know, I think one of the things that you want to do Does that is- Does Oh, absolutely. Why not name and shame them if you want to blow up the donor? Uh, well, I think that, that that's, it's almost the problem. If, if the problem were an individual, yeah. then I absolutely would do it. Oh, it's a lot of I have no problem. But, but, <laughs> we have time. Does the name but, rhyme but, with but Carlin Fro? But, but, but the problem is a system. Yeah. But the problem is actually a system. And I think that that's the deeper problem is these are all good human beings. Yeah. They've all, I think most human beings are innately good. Many of them have grown up in a system. It's the system that gives us this thing we call our our democratic republic. Yeah, maybe it's that's not. maybe that's just professional politics, though. Like, yeah. there's no way to avoid the professionalization, yeah. for lack of a better word, of politics. And it's kind of well, how how are you not going to have that? Yeah, I think that I've thought I've thought in recent weeks a lot about this. This wasn't something I cared a lot about. I wasn't a big anti Citizens United person. Though the influence of money in politics has always bothered me, that's actually what sent me on my journey against ESG, which is a separate Mm -hmm. discussion we can have. But it bothered me that we shouldn't settle our differences on climate change or racial justice or whatever with Larry Fink, the guy who controls the most dollars, in this case, other people's dollars, settling that question. Because America was the place where we settled that through free speech and open debate in the public square where everybody's voice and vote counts equally. That was part of the American promise. I will say, though, now that I've gotten back into the world of partisan politics, into the world, I should say, I was never in it before, I have to be honest that, man, I did think I missed part of the plot. (laughs) Yes, I I do think that the real threat today is the rise of stakeholder capitalism and ESG and the merger of state power and corporate power. But even within the electoral process itself, absolutely, the politicians, the professional politician class that's that doesn't have independent money like I do mm. is beholden to the, what the people fund them, tell them to say or do. And I think it's a problem. I think it's a big problem. I think it is a giant problem in the Republican party. I think it's a giant problem in the Democrat party, but I'm going to speak to the party that I'm running through is in the Republican party. It's a major problem. It's a and, bit of a Bernie line though, isn't it? I mean, you know, I, I, the, the funny thing is about this is this used to be a left-wing slogan. Yeah. Preach citizens United in 2010, keep money out of politics. I think the right should adopt this. I think I'm going to adopt this. I, I, I said but I would like, make a deal. But what's the, well, sorry to interrupt, but what's the remedy? Because Citizens well, so I've United- I've got one idea. I've got one idea. Required the yeah, censorship yeah. of a documentary. That doesn't seem totally. like- Totally. And, and I'm a free speech absolutist, right? And so just because, I mean, this is part of, the, this is part of our, my commitment to the First Amendment, is there are results of it that I don't love, and I still prioritize the First Amendment, right? So that's, that's the extent to which I'm a First Amendment absolutist. But here, here's, how about this solution for you? Because I, I think a lot about this. I, legal solutions are tough. Because you can't tell somebody they can't express their own opinion, which is mm-hmm. finds its way into the electoral process. So, so here's, here's one that I'm bringing to this race. I will make a deal 
with any, let's say I'm in the general election. Let's start with that and then I'll back it up to the primary. In the general election, I will make a deal with Joe Biden or whoever I'm running against and say that we will do a handshake deal. And the handshake deal is this. We both disavow super PAC money. He'll forget the Period. next day. Yeah, he might forget the next day. But, <laughs> Sorry. But, but I'll do a deal with his handlers <laughs> yes. uh, and, 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 and the, the puppet masters behind that puppet. But that, that's, a, that's an interesting deal. Now, now, it would be awkward for a Democrat to say no to that deal. I think they would say no. Not really. Uh, because it happened in 2008 with Barack Obama and, and John McCain. Democrats have been running forever. That money is corrupting politics yep. and you can do public funding. Yep. McCain, who as name was on McCain-Feingold, said, I'll take the public money. And Barack's like, ah, I sure can raise a lot. So yeah. yeah. So so John McCain's a different candidate than I am. And I will not, you know, I, I don't know if you saw some of my recent changes on, on, you know, CNN or, or yeah. Meet the Press or whatever. But I don't let the other side get away with their hypocrisies. I will stand on the side of principle and hold them to the same principles that they say they're committed to. And then, by the way, for the Republican field, I'll say the same thing. If anyone in this primary wants to collectively make an agreement that we're disavowing super PACs, great. I think it's going to be very popular with our base. Mm -hmm. The problem is the other candidates, certainly the ones who are doing well right now, are absolutely tethered to super PAC money. And the super PAC donors are the ones who determine what many of these professional politicians do and don't say on a given day. Silicon Valley Bank bailout. You'd predict that many people were on the other side of that, didn't say a peep, if their donor ranks included the people who benefited from that bailout. So I could just go down the list, but this is not an attack on any particular donor or any particular candidate. It's a system. And it's interesting because if you caught me 10 years ago, I would not have flagged this as the problem that I see it to be now. I was yeah. more focused on stakeholder capitalism and ESG, but my instincts there actually <laughs> require me, I think, to be consistent to call out this hypocrisy here ma as well. Ma make the pitch to our listeners in a way, because you say that, it's really interesting. 10 years ago, I mean, this is true with a lot of people on the right, a lot of Republicans, a lot of conservatives, a difference in, in, in a lot of ways. But what kind of conservative are you? I mean, I've heard you invoke Reagan. Mm -hmm. I have heard you talk about capitalism as the best solution for all of our economic problems, but with some limitations, et cetera. There's a populist streak in you. What kind of conservative, conservative does that make you? If I were to say, give me a kind of potted view of what sort of yeah. ideology, you know, courses through your veins, what would that be? I'm an unapologetic American nationalist. Actually, we did say that it was a very funny line when you said I'm a, a, a non-white non nationalist. Oh, yeah, I was just kidding around. I, I was just trying <laughs> no, to. No, like, it was a, it was, was a funny. To, it was a funny line. We I was it. trying to yeah. poke some people in that room. We we had just been talking about some other issues relating to like yeah. they hit, somebody had made a quip earlier in that meeting about white nationalism and yes. I concerned yeah. about it. And then later in the meeting, it came up. I said, "Well, call me a non-white nationalist." So, but but I think of myself as an unapologetic American nationalist, and I don't think that nationalist has to be a bad word. What do I mean by that? It means that I stand proudly for the ideals that this nation was founded on. Now, other nations are founded on things other than ideals, mm -hmm. ethnicity, common language, a geographic space. I mean, that's a monarch, a religion. Those could be the hallmark of other nations, not this one. This nation was founded on a set of ideals that brought together a divided, diverse, yes, they were in different ways. They were absolutely diverse, headstrong group of people 250 years ago. And I believe that the nation founded on those ideals is the greatest nation on earth and provides the last best hope to the free world. And so we have a responsibility to take care of the health of that nation. 
Maybe that makes me a George Washington America First conservative. I think he was the OG of the America First movement. Bad teeth. Um, yeah. It, yeah, but I kind of like him. <laughs> uh, but so people who call themselves nationalists in the modern context and who embrace America First as a, as a, a phrase as you have in a modern context – Love them some trade wars, some Made in America yeah. stickers. Mm -hmm. So do you? So I am, here's where I am at on that. I view our relationship with China very differently than you our relationship with other trading partners. You mispronounced China. I mean, <laughs> communist China, the CCP. Yeah, she, yeah. It's yeah. either yeah. red communist China. China. Yeah. Matt China. always insists I call it red China. 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 Communist, yes, yes, communist yes. China. Yeah. But, but, uh, but our relation, <laughs> colloquially speaking, in yeah. shorthand, uh, CCP, yeah. CCP-led China. So- Here's my view, and I think, I think that the two are actually in tension with one another in ways that I'll describe. So I've actually called for total decoupling from China, total economic independence from China, not on protectionist grounds at all, but on grounds of long-run national security. And I can go into depth on this, but the short version is, I think it is not good for the long-run security interests of the United States when we are dependent economically on our enemy for our modern way of life. We never depended on the cold, on the, you know, in the USSR during the Cold War for the shoes on our feet or the phones in our pockets. We didn't have phones in our pockets then, but put that to one side. We never depended on our enemy for our modern way of life. Today we do. If that had been a Russian spy balloon flying over half the United States, we would have shot it down in an instant and ratcheted up sanctions. We did not for China, I believe, because we are economically dependent on them. They're deputizing companies, not in a capitalist game, but in a mercantilist game. Airbnb being required to hand over the user data of American users, private messages sent on their platform to the CCP as a condition for doing business there. I'm sorry, that's not capitalism. That is mercantilism. And in fact, there are increasingly laws in China that then forbid those companies from even disclosing in the US that they're doing those things. That is making a hollowed out husk of this thing that we call capitalism that is something other than capitalism. Is that possible, though, at this point, that the coupling is so great, it's so, so entangled? It so it is, which is why it comes back to my, why I said these two things are intentional with one another. This is where I come apart from Trump on this. I think that in order to do it, we have to be re-entering the TPP or what's now the CPTPP, building our alliances with Japan, South Korea, India, Southeast Asia, Australia, Brazil, other nations that still abide by true capitalistic principles. You know, a little negotiation around the edges state-owned enterprises in Japan, you know, they cheat a little bit. They do in Germany too, but those are details. We'll work them out. But broadly speaking, if people are willing to play on the principles of free trade, absolutely we will play on those principles, but we will not play some sort of Trojan horse game where they use the appearance of free trade as a Trojan horse to actually advance a Chinese communist political agenda and a geopolitical agenda that uses companies as pawns, even to lobby here in the United States as a condition for doing business in China. That's not capitalism. So when I say declare independence from China, there's a lot in the modern version of the America First populist movement that loves that. And I think that they understand that's the most important objective. I believe it is the most important objective. But in order to get there, I think that it's not going to magically happen by just onshoring everything to the United States all at once. If I had to pick, that'd be nice. But the reality is it's going to require actually a full portfolio of partnership supply chain for trade relationships that we need to reenter with other nations around the Pacific Rim and elsewhere that put us in a position, that would put me in a position to sit across the table from Xi Jinping in a way that he would really know that I mean it when I say, unless you reform radically, no more IP theft, data theft, no more turning companies into your mercantilist pawns. And if you don't, then we're cutting the cord and we're gone. He'll know that I mean it because we're playing the hand that's stronger than the one he has right now, mm -hmm. which after he held on to his unprecedented third term last year, 
last October, he took over this unprecedented third term. He had to implement zero COVID policies to do it, nuke $3 trillion of market cap off of Chinese stocks. They're in a weaker economic position than we are. And so if we show up with a strong hand, I think now is actually our moment to declare independence economically. And then the last little twist is it's when you're most willing to make that bet, take that risk, that you won't actually have to make one at all because he has that weaker hand. But we haven't had the fortitude to stand up and actually do it. This goes back to capture of the process. The people who will, I think, fearmonger, you know, the Bill Gates is the Elon Musks for that matter of the world, the JP Jamie Diamonds of the world, the people who have companies with serious business interests at stake individually, I think overstate the fear relative to what a pro-trade approach in the rest of the Pacific could actually deliver as a much more realistic outcome to declare independence from China. And a small addendum on this, just before we move on, is that from a political perspective, I've been to God knows how many Trump rallies now. And when Donald Trump would declare that, you know, iPhones, television should be made in America, which, you know, you don't need to have the parable of iPencil of, you know, how mm -hmm. difficult this stuff is to make in America, but it's an enormous applause line. When you say what you say, I understand it. We could go back and forth on it, but it's a pretty detailed critique in saying that, well, we're not, I'd love to onshore, but we can't do that. To win the presidency, it seemed to well, me- I'm talking to you guys here. I know. How do you communicate that to somebody else? Though? Because I see people, and I think one of the problems that Donald Trump is facing, and I've been out there and I've done documentaries about this, yep. of the people that are disappointed that say, you know, the steel tariffs, all this was going, aluminum, it was going to be made here, the phones, the yep. televisions, and they're disappointed by it because it hasn't happened and it was never going to happen. And it was never going to happen. So I don't believe in making false promises. Including, That's what I said. Including though also we're going to rip up these trade treaties and replace them with yeah. something entirely new. That didn't happen that didn't because happen that's hard to, yeah. it's hard to do. It's hard to do. So I have a clear vision. I think what I'm describing is hard to do, but doable. Mm -hmm. and, and I think it is a clear-eyed strategy for addressing the top threat that our, our and our kids' generation will face, which is an increasingly aggressive China. And I think that we cannot let them have economic leverage over us in a way that, by the way, this gets into deeper issues, top foreign policy priority, deter China from going after Taiwan while avoiding war. That's probably one of the top jobs, if not the top job. So, the next so you, president from a foreign policy standpoint, yeah. but but to answer your question, what I'll do is I mean, we're having. I mean, you guys are nerding out here in a podcast. Are, I'm nerd. sitting here with you, so I'm I'm, I'm yeah. playing to, I'm playing to the crowd. I'm <laughs> yeah. playing. I am playing yeah. to the crowd here. Nerd as much but, as you want. Yeah, but, but but let me let me just send you like last when was it? last Friday? Feels like an eternity ago. I was in Georgia, spoke to the Georgia GOP convention. Those are the GOP delegates. About two thousand in the room. Trump spoke on Saturday. I spoke on Friday. Check out the video. I'll, I'll send it to you. It's on, it's, it's on YouTube and you can look it up. What I've seen bits of it, yeah. yeah. No, watch the whole thing. Yeah. And you make your judgment. I, I left that room and many rooms like it across the country believing that we're going to win this election, actually. Because I think that the heart of the message, first thing, there's a couple things I'd say is our base is actually a lot smarter than some in Manhattan parts will give, give them credit for. Some of the deepest questions I get on the campaign trail in places like Iowa, New Hampshire, certainly come even financial questions about central bank digital currencies or otherwise come from people I meet in rural Iowa sooner than they come from guys I'm having lunch and dinner with here in Manhattan when I come into town. So I think that there's, there's that. But I also think that there are simple ideas at the heart of this, right? We can go into great depth on how I'm going to get each of these things done, but at a high level, end the administrative state, declare independence from China, revive national pride, pride in being a citizen. That's not complicated. There's a lot to it. We can go as deep as you want to, but at the heart of it, that's what you need to know.
I mean, I would, love, I, I would love to go deep uh, on all the stuff. I'm, unfortunately, we're constrained by time because I want to shift to something that I know Matt and I were talking about um, earlier, and it is the issue of foreign policy. You mentioned that it is a priority, would be a priority for your administration to defend Taiwan, not necessarily militarily, but to defend the sovereignty of, of Taiwan. Um, and you've also gotten and you know a bit of back heated back and forth about Ukraine, yep. uh, saying that is not within the purview of America's immediate national interest, but Taiwan is. Explain the difference to me. Yeah, semiconductors are the difference. It's it's purely oh, wow. economic. It's semiconductors. Yep, our modern way of life is the difference. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so so today, as you guys probably well know, that computer right there, the phone in my pocket, the refrigerator that probably kept that water cold before you're drinking it, yeah. depend on advanced semiconductors that are made in a tiny island nation off the southeast coast of China, in the South China Sea. How we got there is a somewhat embarrassing story. We don't need to We don't have to talk about, it. about Chiang Kai-shek. Yeah, and, yeah. And well, yeah, but, 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 but even after post, you know, and, and he decided that, you know, that he had a vision and, and, you know, was far ahead of where we are and they are where they are for a reason. Anyway, the point is we depend on them for our modern way of life. We have no national interest at issue in Ukraine. And so my view is these things are actually deeply linked, but not in the way that they're tied up in the popular narrative. The popular narrative is that if Putin takes over any piece of Ukraine that he previously didn't hold prior to February of last year, then that will somehow embolden Xi Jinping because he reasons by analogy to say, oh, if Putin can do that, then I can do this. I think that's incorrect. I think Putin and Xi Jinping- Not a crazy thought though, is it? I think it's- it's not at first blush, but I think it's closer to crazy than not when you actually look at how these decisions are likely to get made. Put yourself in Xi Jinping's shoes. The thing that one of the big things that gives Xi Jinping confidence to go after Taiwan is part of what gives Vladimir Putin the confidence to keep at it in Ukraine, which is the number one issue that nobody's talking about, which is the China-Russia alliance. They have a military alliance. They entered in 2001. Bush and his administration were actually starting to pay attention to this 9-11 derailed that. And then they doubled down on that with what they call their No Limits Partnership in 2022, which basically commits each country to come to the military defense of the other. Russia has the largest nuclear stockpile in the world, hypersonic missile capabilities, bar none, based on what they say and what we know. In China, even in the United States and China, Russia's far ahead. China has the second largest economy to the U.S. They're one large contiguous landmass. This Sino-Russian alliance is the single greatest long-run military threat to the United States in this century. And I worry what we're doing in Ukraine. I do not worry. I, I know it. We're driving Russia further into China's hands. China's coming to Russia's defense. And by the way, we're depleting many of the capabilities that we otherwise, God forbid, Are we not also depleting Russia's capabilities too? No, because I think Russia's not using hypersonic missiles and nuclear weapons when they have the largest nuclear stockpile in the world, when that's what Xi Jinping views as the backstop to a major power conflict in the context of Taiwan, which is why I've said that here's how I would end the Ukraine war. I would freeze the current lines of control, a Korean war style armistice agreement. I would also make a further commitment. People don't like this, but I think it's necessary to say that NATO will never admit Ukraine to NATO. 
Let's keep in mind that James Baker promised Gorbachev in 1991. We talk about the 1994 Budapest. Memorandum. Oh, we could have a four hour. We, we, we talk about this all the time, by the way, particularly the Baker stuff. Yeah. Oh, good. Yeah. good. I mean, I mean, Not I mean, one inch to the but, east. But, but, we, have, but, we have differences of opinion on this, but, but go ahead. But, yeah, but, yeah, but yeah. the funny part is how much you hear about the 1994 Budapest Memorandum, which was our commitments to Ukraine, very high level and soft, which I believe we have more than fulfilled and discharged. Russia had some commitments in that yeah. memorandum. Yeah. Russia, well. Russia, UK, and the US had commitments in that, but that was 1994. In 1990 or 1991, James Baker made commitments to Gorbachev that there would never be an old Warsaw Pact country that became part of NATO. That's an oral commitment as opposed to a written international treaty, I think. Well, but the Budapest Memorandum is not a treaty. Budapest Memorandum is not a treaty. So let's be really precise. It's it's the next level down. But but, but the oral commitment that we made that was codified in our understanding of international norms was absolutely a U.S. commitment. Then now you see NATO has expanded more after the fall of the U.S.S.R., than ever during the period the USSR existed. Well, NATO is also expanding two new countries uh, in the past year with Sweden and Finland. Absolutely. Countries that, that the majority of people in those countries did not want to enter NATO, but the majority in both those countries now do. Uh, yeah, it's but, pretty, I mean, that's but, a- but, but from the standpoint of, from the standpoint of relations vis-a-vis Russia, we, for, I think there's a disconnect, at least with respect to how much we talk about the Budapest Memorandum while staying completely silent on relatively temporally- Similar, right? 1991, 1994 commitments that we've made to different countries. Does Russia not have any commitments that is codified, might not be the highest level of a treaty, but slightly below that, to the territorial integrity of Ukraine, which is now violated? So so Russia is absolutely violating some of its commitments here as well. The sovereignty of Ukraine. I I, I wanted to give away the the tough stuff of what I was saying first in service of what we get in return, right? So I said I would give all – I would freeze the current lines of control and make a permanent commitment not to admit – Ukraine to NATO. So I'm not kicking anybody out, but Ukraine would not enter NATO, which is exactly what Vladimir Putin demanded in what, February, in, in late 2021. And after Angela Merkel foolishly said that the Minsk, the Minsk agreement was just a matter of biding time, he responded by saying, well, then tell me you're not going to admit Ukraine to NATO. Nobody says anything and then he invades Ukraine. What I would say is, yes, we will say that we will not admit Ukraine to NATO. And we will freeze the current lines of controls, which includes much of the Donbass region, going to Vladimir Putin. Big and, concessions. And, and Crimea. And uh, Crimea, which is, uh, yeah, yeah, status quo. Well, it's status quo since 2014. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> which was taken by force. But, yeah. I mean, it depends on how far back you want to go, right? When but they were still taken Russia. by force. Yeah. Right, but, but, yeah. but, but for me, my whole point is— <laughs> I mean, Mexico is not going to take Texas and say, well, you know, yeah, the 18— And, and, and then, and then mean, we can talk but, about the Sudan, sure. and we can talk about Ethiopia, and we can talk about the Congo, and we can talk about everything else too, right? But no one's talking about that. Because I look at this from the standpoint as George Washington did. So I call myself a George Washington, America first conservative. Avoid foreign entanglements unless they advance the American interest. Here's how we advance the American interest. Freeze those lines of control. Commit not to admit Ukraine to NATO. In return, get something bigger, which is that Russia exits its military alliance with China. With some other things I'd like to. Pull the nuclear weapons out of Kaliningrad, which is the piece of Russia that borders Poland. Get all Russian military out of Cuba, Venezuela, the Western Hemisphere altogether. We have now moved from a bilateral international order that favors China to a trilateral international order where none of the major three nuclear superpowers are allied with one another. That's more stable. It better advances American interests. It takes the confidence out of Xi Jinping's sale that he's otherwise depending on to go after Taiwan. And I think that that's actually something that advances American interests sooner than fighting this war in Ukraine that ironically, I mean, push comes to shove. Let's just say the purpose of NATO was to avoid, I think we can all agree on this, avoid nuclear war with the Soviet Union. That was one of the top objectives. And yet, now NATO's own behaviors, including who it's admitting that it said it wouldn't once admit pre-1991, 
are now driving us closer to nuclear war with Russia. And if you have any doubt about that, Biden now shamefully, I think shamefully, is saying that he would re-enter the New START treaty negotiations with Russia without preconditions. To me, that's weak even versus Russia. To me, I say that, no, we have preconditions. We're going to give you this in Ukraine, but you enter New START, remove those nukes from Kaliningrad, get your military out of the Western Hemisphere, and most importantly, exit your military partnership out of China. So I think we're doing it wrong all the way down. And this isn't a critique of Biden. This is a critique of most of the party that I'm running in as well, in the Republican Party. But I think that that's part of what I bring to the table as an outsider from a foreign policy vision. It's funny we're talking foreign policy because most of what we would have talked about is, <laughs> yeah. is Trump today and all this. I mean, yeah, look, or woke culture or climate change or anything it's, else. We agree on all that. Maybe yeah, a little boring. Th- that's what makes uh, this more fun. But, yeah. but, but the question that I have to ask is a very simple one. Hmm. Do the Ukrainians matter in this at all? I mean, Ukrainians don't want to cede any of this territory. I'm all for, and I'm, every I'm, single opinion poll in Ukraine has suggested that they want the, you know, uh, Luhansk and Donbass, all those regions back. Of course, Crimea too, that's going to be far more difficult, et cetera. But even that, any of those territorial concessions, they say no. After Bucha, after the massacres in Bucha, it was really, really codified in everybody's mind in Ukraine. I was in Ukraine three weeks after the war started. This is a motivated people. These are people that see themselves very distinctly from Russians, see the Russian threat, said, hey, we wanted to join NATO because of exactly this sort of issue. So when you do that, it's kind of an it's interesting imperial vision, though, isn't it? To say that America couldn't di- can dictate what the Ukrainians should do. Well, I, 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 let me, let me, we don't do anything. It's a little right? more precise. Thank you. I was, I was, you know, we're speaking fast mm-hmm. in, in short order here. I have no problem with Ukraine pursuing a Ukraine first policy. Yep. Poland should pursue Poland first. America should pursue America first. America has more than fulfilled its obligations to Ukraine here, though, in sending military aid in totality, which is what, 20 to 40 times Ukraine's own military spending. So why don't you say we'll, so, we'll, we'll minimize or eliminate all the aid to Ukraine? Why is that not a, a so, so So I, I think that that is a possibility, but it doesn't really advance American interests more than saving the money. Whereas I actually want to pull Russia apart from that Chinese alliance. And I think that this deal actually serves Ukraine better because they come out with their sovereignty intact, with most of their national border intact backstop not by some Russian agreement to just Ukraine, but backstop by a real agreement between Russia and the United States where Russia's self-interest is tied up in it. And by the way, as part of this agreement, we'd restore normal economic relations from China with, with Russia. I don't think Vladimir Putin enjoys being the little brother of Xi Jinping in that relationship. I think that backstops and underwrites Ukraine's security far more than fighting it out with Russia, which just kicks the can down the road to another day. And by the way, if Putin reneges, I, I don't trust Putin more than I can throw him, right? I, I believe that, look, I can trust Putin to follow his self-interest, but that's about it. Our backstop would be if he reneges on that agreement, which by the way, Putin would have no reason to do if he's restored economic relations with the West, if he's effectively part of the security infrastructure of Western Europe, he's no longer little brother to Xi Jinping. It's a trilateral international order. He should enjoy that state of affairs. So I think he has no reason to renege. But if he does, we would say the opposite, instant admission of Ukraine to NATO, and maximum pressure campaign economically. So both carrot and stick, this backstops Ukraine's sovereignty with, I think, greater conviction and fortitude than- So then you don't care about James, what James Baker said in 1991. Well, I, do I care about what James Baker said in 19? 19- no, no, no. That's, that's only if Putin reneges on this more recent agreement. So I'm not going to do that automatically. I'm saying we're going to reach an agreement with Putin, which is to say that he exits that military partnership with China. But it's backed up by saying, if you renege on this, they're carrying out joint military exercises, we find out, great. We take those commitments mutually very seriously. I would say that if one of those, a similar thing is that Ukraine can be admitted to NATO or we would 
you know, it's America is not the only country in NATO that allows all this stuff to happen. But I, I, mean, would, also, fund, I would also fund a disproportionate of course, disproportionate, so I think, I think and we, we have should. disproportionate influence. Yeah. But I would also say that um, if Ukraine is invaded, then maybe that would also be a condition to allow Ukraine into NATO, uh, rather than this seven, seven uh, you know, spaces down the line. Because the entire point of ascension to NATO, I think that's on the table to for not a deal. be invaded by Russia. That was the entire point of it. Well, right? I, I think that that's on the table for for this. But 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 I mean, we would get it's a complicated deal. We'd take seventy two hours and we'd sort it out. And, and I think that I want to get as much out of that as possible. I vote for you if you could do it in 72 interest. hours. I don't give a shit what it is <laughs> to prevent people from dying in Ukraine. 72 hours. If you could solve that, oh, Vivek, you got, my, you got my vote for that. Just for I, that only. I appreciate that. And even better, now- I don't uh, believe you, but I, <laughs> that's a different I, 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 thing. I think yeah. you believe that I believe it. <laughs> oh, I, I believe yeah, yeah. you believe it yeah. because it's but, not a popular yeah. position to take. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's but, not, I, but, but whether I will get it done, I, I think we will. And I yeah. think part of the reason why is that this also- it, it, it's not just what you said. Yeah. It's also, I think, our most peaceful mechanism to strongly deter Xi Jinping from going for Taiwan. Yeah. Because Xi Jinping, his bet is the U.S. will not want to go to simultaneous war with two different allied nuclear superpowers at the same time. He might be right about that. But if Russia is no longer in China's camp, and then I have other deterrent, you know, peaceful deterrent policies with respect to the China-Taiwan annexation risk. But we've accomplished a lot. It's, it's a reverse maneuver. See, it's, people, do I like Putin? No, I don't. I mean, but it's no, no more than Nixon like Mao, right? This is the reverse. It's the reverse Nixon-Mao maneuver. He pulled Mao out of partnership with the USSR because the two of them combined were a mighty force for the US to contend with. Putin is the new Mao, right? And the CCP is the new USSR in this di- global dynamic. And the more we're able to pull Putin out of the camp of the CCP, the better off we are in advancing actual American interests. Let's talk about uh, what you were doing in Miami today. You had a press conference. Uh, you uh, poked fun at Ron DeSantis, as you do every day. Uh, <laughs> That's not true. Every other day. You didn't do it yesterday. True. Every hour. Uh, That's not true. No, That's but you, you encouraged everybody who was uh, running for president to yeah. sign a pledge that they would yeah. pardon uh, uh, Donald Trump if he uh, ends up being convicted That's on right. their first day of office. I'm curious about the limiting principle on that. So yep. um, uh, is it that it's an ex-president? Is it that it's a major uh, party nominee? Um, no, so it's cover- on these, because it, that's that's just political atmospherics. To me, it's about the specifics of, I read this indictment with an open mind, okay? I do not believe much of what is in this indictment, and here's why. The selective omissions of fact and law popped off the page to me in a way that was really problematic and reeks. It does not smell good. Give you some examples. There is zero mention of not only the Presidential Records Act, which is literally the most relevant statute. A 49-page indictment makes no reference to the most relevant governing statute. Zero mention of the 2012 case, the federal district court case, Judge Jackson and the Clinton sock drawer case, which held, and it's her words, not mine, so you could disagree with the law or the interpretation of it, her words, not mine, It is in the sole discretion of the U.S. president what records are or aren't covered by that statute. Now, we could disagree on the policy of that. We entrust the president with tremendous power to whether to drop the nuclear weapons, whether or not to invade Iraq on theories of weapons of mass destruction. Well, it turns out she's interpreted and the federal courts have interpreted the federal statutes to give the president the power to make this determination about documents too. Selective statements from Trump in the 2016 campaign trail saying that he would go after Hillary for classified document breaches. That has no place in a legal argument about an indictment. That has no legal force. I think it's. I think it, the intent is to show that there's intent and knowledge. Of so, it. so, so, scienter. 
you know, state of mind, mens rea, yeah. all this yeah. stuff. But if you're going to do that, so, so, so fine. I, I, that's, that, that was the charitable interpretation there. If you're going to do that, then how about the selective omission of the most recent, more recent statement that Trump made post-election in 2016 at the end of that year saying that he did not believe it was appropriate to actually prosecute Hillary Clinton for those offenses. That appeared nowhere. The classification regime itself is created, not I actually reminded myself of this. I must have known it from long ago. Maybe I didn't. was written by executive order. What about all of the federal appellate case law that says that a president of the United States who literally can write an executive order whenever he feels like it is not bound by executive orders that didn't go through Congress? So, to so be none of this was mentioned in the indictment. To be clear, just to narrow it down, um, you're saying that the subpoena, the original subpoena, let alone the raid to follow up the subpoena for records, they were themselves illegitimate because they were subpoenaing things that the, the, the federal government had no, you know, the National Archives, the Department of Justice had no uh, legal interest in those records. Legal interest or legal claim is a different point. Okay. Legal, legal claim. Let's say, let, so the subpoena itself, right? Because yes. So, so I think that the indictment. You're saying that he didn't break the law. Like, but I think, I think it is a, I think it is a very complex question of whether he blo- broke that law. And if I'm reading it against the way federal judges have most recently interpreted the presidential records act, I think it is a very tough case to say he broke the law. And then further, should you get somebody on a process crime? I mean, this is the Michael Flynn lesson. You don't foster greater trust in our justice system when you convict someone over a process crime where the underlying crime that you're investigating them for was itself non-existent. And then there's the, juris- there's the prudential value here of saying that if you're going to indict a fi- prior president of the United States who's your lead current opponent to the White House, to the, to the prevailing president of the United States— you better darn well be on solid legal and factual footing. And I think that was completely missing in this indictment. And the fact that some of the most obvious elements from statute to judicial precedent to even facts of Trump's own speech cherry picked smacked of politicization to me in a way that A, made me skeptical, I wish the news media were more skeptical, but made me skeptical of the claim that the invisible hand of the White House was not guiding this, which is why I submitted a FOIA request to the White House and to the DOJ, getting to the bottom of any direct or indirect communications. And it's also why I think for the sake of this country, Republican or Democrat, when we ask, what takes us towards a step closer to national unity? Describe myself as an American nationalist. That means I must care about the unity of this nation, right? I, turns out I do. I think it is a step in the direction of national unity. It is a step in the direction of restoring our national self-confidence and shared American identity to say that especially when I'm competing against Donald Trump to win the nomination, to say that regardless of whether or not it would be easier for me to win this race if he weren't in it, and it would be, that I'm still saying today that we will pardon him on January 20th, 2025. And he's not the only person I've brought up in this context. So for me, this is a part of a pattern of consistency. I said I would pardon Julian Assange. Why? President Obama commuted the sentence of Chelsea Manning, presumably because she's trans, even though she was the actual individual who breached an obligation to the government that Julian Assange never did. He never had an obligation to the government. He sits in foreign exile while she roams free. Antifa BLM treated one way. Protesters of a different political persuasion treated a different way. So for me, this is another example in a litany of concerning weaponization of justice based on political viewpoints. And if I'm to persuade maybe somebody who has a different point of view than me on this, I would just say- Like like Bill Barr and Chris Christie and Andrew McCarthy at National Review, people who studied the law, have worked in the law- um, who are conservatives, who criticized the, the 
previous prosecutions, the including one. the New York one. Yeah. I mean, uh, we were brutal on the New York one. The New York we were, that was just the New York one is a sloppy. It's I mean, a sloppy that. one. Can, it's bad, that. and it's obvious that it's politicized. But it, you're you're saying that your read on the law you think is more convincing than their read on the law. Where the, the no, sort of, I, I I'm not I'm not. Well, uh, maybe then. I mean, I, I think this belongs to the court here. All right, so I'm not going to like pull my own constitutional hat credentials here because that's well, awkward. It doesn't. It doesn't but, because you're saying you're, it's a pardon. So the court could come out and say that they think this indictment, or you know, they'll they'll send it to a jury and let's say the jury uh, convicts. That's right. Um, um, I think it's a close enough case at a time in American history where the right unifying thing to do for the country would absolutely to be an issue and a pardon to issue a pardon, just as we ought to to Julian Assange, just as we ought to to many peaceful protesters on January 6th. But Vivek, just like I, just, to, a, a, a quick question though. I mean, I, I get where you're coming from here and I get the politicization argument, but is it a unifying thing if the incoming president essentially engages in jury nullification almost immediately? So I think we can debate that. We can have a reasonable debate about it. I think that there's room for us to, so, so how do I actually stand on my own um, credentials here to say this is more than just partisan tug of war because I, I don't feel that that's what's motivating me. I don't really consider myself a particularly ardent Republican for that matter. Yeah, I think we should have an open conversation about what it takes to move on from this otherwise dangerous slope of weaponized justice going back and forth. I think there's a lot of smoke around what's coming from Hunter Biden, Joe Biden, even the last few days. I think it would be pretty interesting, and I'm thinking deeply through this about whether we just engage in a moment of laying down our arms full stop and saying that what's past is past. We're moving forward to a country that restores the ideals of our constitutional republic, three branches of government, not four. There's been a weaponization of an administrative state in a lot of different directions. The ones that were clearly the subject of politicized prosecutions on the left and right were going to issue the presidential power of the pardon. This is part of why it's in the Constitution. It's part of leading the country is to say that this is going to be how we move forward as a country. So to me, I think that this is more than about the Republican Party or more than about Trump or more than even about conservative grievance, though I think there are good reasons for grievance in the moment we live in now. 160 years ago, we had two tiers of justice in this country for black people and white people. Today, it, I would argue that it would appear to me we have two tiers of justice for people depending on whether or not they're considered an extremist in their political views. Neither of those is what the American vision of justice is supposed to be about. And I'm not running to lead a political party. I am running to lead a country, and I am strongly contemplating how broad, even in this primary, I'm going to be in pre-specifying the scope of what that pardon regime would look like as a way of just saying, we're laying down arms on all sides and asking, what are we running to as a country rather than which side are we it, running It from? does, by the way, sound a lot like something of, of uh, my people of my vintage would, would remember, a little older than you, which is moveon.org. Mm -hmm. Which was yeah. which was censure and move on. Once which was which was the thing with Bill Clinton was like get it over with. It's pulling the country apart. Censure and move on. And you know, like I I know you have to uh, run in a second, but you know, so let's maybe we should move on to one final. Thing. Yep. we do one final thing. Is that all right? The one final thing. Yeah, one final. Let's right? There's a and this is you know interviewers often do this. So they put these things in other people's mouths and say, well, somebody says this about you. I actually don't know this, so I am actually going to say that about other people that say Vivek is down there in Florida. He's waving a piece of paper. And he's talking about this stuff because he knows he can't win, but he wants a position in the Trump administration. The I heard this 15 times. Yeah, I hear this all the time. I think this, all is, the time. this is a very popular like counter-narrative. Very right popular yeah. narrative. I'm Washington Examiner, somebody today met today said, said this. Yeah, Vivek I mean, is just trying to get a cabinet position. He wants to be Veep. 
Is that of any interest to you? Is that what you want? It's not actually. You I wouldn't. You wouldn't take one. I, I wouldn't say. I mean, I think it would be. You know, would I hundred percent not take one? I probably am not going to like rule it out a hundred percent ever. Which one? Which job? Any job in a cabinet? Because okay. any job that involves reporting into someone, I just don't. I haven't done that in a very long time. Oh, I Veep! You can, I mean, Kamala Harris really, doesn't do anything. So well, well, she, doesn't, just, <laughs> she just walk around the country. And, and, and so, why would I want to yeah. do that? Yeah. Right? Because I've been. Because I. Because because that that actually seems quite unappealing as yeah. well. I'm starting businesses. I've got a three-year-old and eleven-month-old. Oh, I'm writing. I'm cranking. I've written. Three you know books. what? When my daughter was three, I wish I ran for president to get the hell out of the house. <laughs> I've yeah. written three books in the last eighteen minutes. Honest yeah. to God, if I don't win this election, I think I'm going to go back to doing what I love doing, and, and I think I'm having an impact doing starting businesses, writing books. I'd like to keep a cadence about one every six months if I can still keep it in me. Travel the country, be a parent. That's what I want to do. That's what I've been doing, and I think we're having an impact that way. I think in terms of leading the country, part of the reason that I stepped into this is that. What I was writing about in Woke Inc., I view as a symptom of a deeper problem. It's just the symptom, though. The deeper problem is this void of purpose and meaning and identity in our country. We have lost our sense of what it means to be an American. I'm the first millennial ever to run for this nomination in the GOP for U.S. president. Mm -hmm. And if you ask people my age, what does it mean to be an American, you get a blank stare in response. I think that we're, that is the void that we can fill that not only dilutes the woke agenda to irrelevance, I think it dilutes all the poison to irrelevance, depression, anxiety, climatism, covidism, globalism, transgenderism. These are symptoms of a deeper void of purpose and meaning in our country. And I think it will take a young person. It's not going to take somebody who's on the other side of being jaded and cynical, you know, as I will be surely years from now, right? We're all human beings. I think that this is a moment where I still have fresh legs in this race. As an outsider, I don't particularly covet a government job. I think that's part of what makes me qualified to actually do it. I'm an outsider. Yes, I've built things and built an executive. That's a boring pitch that you see one person every cycle offer that. That's not what I'm offering. But with a vision for the country and a bone-deep understanding of the Constitution, that creates a unique combination that I think allows me to do something for the country this time around that... I saw a vacuum in the race that called me into it. And so that's not a vacuum for people who can serve as a vice president or treasurer or secretary or whatever else, you know. No, I think there are other people who can do those jobs. But I don't see somebody else who's setting out at least to fill the national vacuum in the way that I'm setting out to here. And that's not for me to decide. My fear in this election isn't losing. It's that people won't know who I am and what I stand for. If I do that, people know who I am and what I stand for. I could, that's up to the people to decide whether or not I'm the person who serves. And if I'm call- and if they call me to serve, then I'm up for the job. Thanks for having me, guys. I Vivek Ramaswamy, thank, thank you, so you so much for coming uh, on. Thank have you. Have a good time going thank to you. a thousand other yeah. stops today. You have nine more states Rocking to go and to. They're pulling before me out. midnight. Thank, thank you, you Vivek. I appreciate it. Thank you. We, we, we know of new methods of attack. So um, Vivek Ramaswamy, we appreciated him being here. And um, by the way, he's he is one of those guys that when you interview them, it's just and particularly when they're on the road doing this stuff all the time. They're such fast talkers and they're just, you know, speeding through things. And it's like standing in front of a freight train. It's very difficult. Probably could have kept going for, for an hour or so after that. Um, but it does limit us um, responding to him because what our interest is getting Vivek to explain himself uh, to us. And it's unfortunately too short of a period of time to push back uh, aggressively on all of it. And we have been upbraided in the past for t- <laughs> For talking about people on uh, different, even different episodes that we disagreed with and didn't do it in real time. We didn't actually have that opportunity on every issue. You got to pack everything in. Um, he's wrong about a lot, but he's a very smart guy and uh, and and very nice of him. Uh, Pretty fit. 
He's pretty fit. I think he's, a, I yeah, think he's been I doing he's, his burpees. He's been doing, I don't even know what those are, but I think he's been doing them. Right, you do is that. that like you when, do? when you like you, you go down and like uh, you, you do like the the kind of push up and then you jump up. Oh, I thought that was Jack Palance. It's super Jack Palance. I mean, I, I suppose like even regardless of what he says, you see him and you're like, I want a guy that age as the president. I mean, that last pitch that was my favorite part of just like uh, I'm 37. And yeah, all. yeah, yeah, yeah. I would love I'm it just it, above the age where it's I'm allowed to be president. I mean, every president except for Barack Obama has been born in 1942 or 1946 for about a thousand years. Yeah, in 1942, the president uh, FDR was born in 1942. Yes, he was. I mean, it is exhausting, and you know, actually, we didn't get to this point, and again. Um, you have to you have to choose your targets in in a situation like this. But we didn't get to the point where Vivek has a an idea of uh, raising the voting age to twenty five. Conditionally, you can conditionally. Well, you, you can you, opt out. You, if you well, pass the citizenship test. Well, there's also. Oh, look! It's whiskey and coke. Oh my god! Look at that. That is delicious. It's let me let me let's try this. This materialized. Should we try this right now? Yeah. Mm. Oh, that's boozy. By the way, I just want to point out it is five o'clock. <laughs> so. I, it's weird how much better I feel right now. Yeah, no, it's interesting, and it's it's you know I'm glad that we got to to the point of asking the question that doesn't seem to be asked, but often inferred that this is all just a, a campaign to get into a Trump cabinet or be a Trump VP pick. And Trump has said very very nice things about Vivek. He says, you know, he's not my opponent, but he's Vivek the best. didn't rule that out either. He didn't rule it out. <laughs> that is the important uh, thing to take away. That what um, uh, what people uh, who don't want that will tell you. What so. cabinet position do you think uh, he would? Uh, he would uh, Secretary of Education. Then he'll shut down the Department of Education. <laughs> that would be sweet. That'd be make like, himself. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Like Alfred Kahn being the head of the, uh, <laughs> the uh, Federal Aviation. Uh, yeah, he he would uh, force his own obsolescence, right? So yeah, that was that was interesting, and I don't think Vivek has a shot at becoming the president. Um, he's, he's in sixth place. He's pulling at two point two percent, which is higher than Chris Christie. Um, we didn't yeah. get probably, a chance. Pro- probably higher than Tim Scott, too. No, uh, Scott's ahead. Scott's, oh, Scott's ahead. Scott's, Scott's ahead. ahead. Uh, uh, he's in fifth. Vivek's in sixth. Christie's in seventh. I mean, I'm impressed by the impact that he's made already. About a year ago, Vivek Ramaswamy could walk through Midtown and nobody would ha- have any idea who, who he is. I'm sure that still, it's still probably true, but there's a, 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 many more people would be like, didn't I just see that guy on TV? Because he's doing the rounds. He's really putting in the effort uh, in the sense that I really do disagree with him on a lot. We didn't do an Apu question. Though. Oh, feels... fuck. We were going to start with we're that. We're going to start with that. Fuck, we should have yeah. done that. Yeah. Um, Vivek, answer that in your own mind. Okay? Answer that in your yeah. own mind. Send us, yeah, send yeah. us a voicemail. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so um, so anyway, that was that that was fun. That was interesting. We got to hear Vivek be wrong about a bunch of stuff in person. And this is our... <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> this yeah. is our first in the uh in the uh 2024 uh candidate series. Yeah. Um I did, don't know. We did we 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 like those kind of marginal candidates. We did Andrew Yang before. Yang. We did uh um Gary Johnson, Gary Johnson back in the day. We did Did we do Marianne Williamson? No, we didn't. I think we did uh no, we didn't, but we should this time, definitely. Absolutely. We haven't had a formal invite out. Let's get her. I know I have connections to her and somebody uh who I trust said actually she's really interesting and really fun to talk to. So good I dancer. I, Absolutely good. I dancer. would I would love to because I you know uh, let's for listeners out there, um uh and uh, you know who you are because you're listening to it. Um, send us uh, who you want us to interview. I think uh, I think Tim Scott seems to be emerging. Tim Scott would be interesting, but you know, my thing is that I'm you know not opposed to interviewing someone like Vivek 
is I generally am opposed to interviewing politicians. I've done it so many times That's in true. my life that I find it really annoying and tedious because they don't answer questions. They're very skilled. It's the first thing you learn as a politician is how not to answer a question. Yeah. And it's very important that you don't step in it. So you, all the headlines of a politician saying something crazy is a politician going off script. They're trained not to go off script. So it's hammering on these issues over and over and over again. You know, and these people that interview say, like, say something bad about Trump. He's not going to say something bad about Trump, Vivek, in, in, in particular. I mean, the others will. Why that is, that's for you to decide. But it's just not worth wasting that time and trying to get, because but people are trying to get those headlines. It's, it's, it's useless. So, I mean, I think it's interesting to talk to politicians about certain issues and push back on it. But I do tend to find that it's not very enlightening usually. One thing that, uh, that is curious uh, that his candidacy raises, um, he's the only rando running right now in the, uh, in the GOP. By he rando, actually is, yeah. Uh, by rando, I... Not a professional politician. Please understand that that is the opposite of any kind of, uh, of insult. No, I, no, no. I, we like randos. I prefer my randos and yeah, I tend yeah, to vote yeah, for them. Yeah. Um, but, um, which is weird because in 2016, right, the last time around of a GOP primary... Randalls were hu- Randos were huge, and it's not just Trump. I mean, for a long time, it was Trump was number one, Ben Carson was number two, and I'm now blanking on the on the car on the uh, on the. Uh, uh, there was at least one other person who was kind of a, a, a random outsider character yeah. who's not just like oh, it's someone unusual. It was like someone un- crazily unusual that you would no- normally not expect to be in the race, and you would think that on some level um, that. Trump opened up that gate uh, permanently, like it just showed that there's going to be an appetite for that. Um, And now, I mean, I think Vivek has been, uh, he's been the most surprising success so far of of like just registering a blip. Yeah. I mean, mean, there's a lot of people to keep in mind. There's a lot of people that do say they're running for president and never get any traction at all and are never taken seriously in any way. I mean, I mean, for Christ's sake, Kanye ran for president. I think he did. And I, I think he took it seriously, but nobody else did. Probably uh, because the Jewish power machine prevented him from. <laughs> I think that, uh, that if maybe you cl- if you clip that, I will fucking kill you. Trump, it's a, joke. it's a fucking joke. Trump, uh, Trump eats up a lot of the the rando category for sure. But also, I mean, on the Democratic side, the only other two people running are in the rando category themselves, right? Marianne, Ma- Marianne Williamson was a fringe candidate. Um, there wasn't a big appetite among the Democrats RFK last time yeah. for a fringe candidate because they were so intent on having a normie that yes. they thought could uh, beat Trump. So it's interesting that there is some appetite in the American electorate. Um, and a big question, open question that I have uh, about this cycle is to what extent uh, there's going to be openness for that because in a uh, highly polarized, negative polarized moment, usually all third parties and independent candidates and weirdos die yes. um, because everyone's freaked out and they have to beat the other guy. And I wonder, um, and I, my early suspicion is that there is less of a sense of mortal threat, yeah. which gives more of a position for people who are, let's say, untraditional. So yeah. that could be an opening for Vivek in the primary, certainly an opening for RFK and Marianne Williamson, as is just the fact that they exist because no other Democrat is running and Joe Biden is one of those people who's born either in 1942 or 1946 or both. Yeah. I mean, look, the, 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 there is one, you know, moment where, you know, I, I should have interjected this, but it's been said a bunch of times, uh, which is um, Donald Trump himself said um, that these documents aren't declassified, by the way. I just want to get back to that for one second because we need, we should probably talk about 
Jack Smith and talk about what's going on today. I mean, we are recording on a day that a president has been indicted for the first time in, in American court. history. Yeah. Um, and was in court. Um, and by the way, I, I will say to the conspiracists who say this is, you know, a massive, um, you know, a conspiracy so immense against uh, the former president because they can't stand him, et cetera. I mean, him getting into court in New York and Florida, no fingerprints, no mugshots, as far as we can tell, very sort of, if, could they not force this, by the way, to like really humiliate the guy, make sure that there's like two mugshots, like choose your own mugshot kind of t-shirts and the rest of it. It doesn't strike me that, um, that that conspiracy is doing so well at humiliating him in this way, because you, you presumably you could, no cameras in the courtroom, et cetera. I mean, that's a, that's obviously a different thing, but what do you make of this, Matt, when you, when you see this today? I mean, there's, there's, I mean, Eli Lake, our friend, um, frequent guest, did write a pretty interesting piece for the Free Press uh, that's very similar to his previous one, Guilty But Framed, yep. that, you know, the guy couldn't have screwed up anymore. He's absolutely terrible and horrible. But Espionage Act, um, you know, and the abuse of these things, et cetera, the politicization of the FBI, the DOJ, et cetera. Do you give any credence to that stuff? I mean, it's hard to tell. So the way that I look at it is that um, I probably would prefer that anything that was called the Espionage Act um, has to do with espionage. <laughs> has to do with espionage. Like directly have to. Not, not yeah. could have been. Yeah. Maybe what? Yeah. No. Definitely has to be. Yeah. Um, you can have a you know uh, messed up the records, uh, exposed uh, national security secrets, made them vulnerable uh, act. Um, and there probably should be such an act. Uh, I would worry that it would be overly interpreted and that you would end up sending people like reality winner um, to prison, yeah. um, and uh, which is what the Trump administration or Trump uh, uh, Department of Justice uh, did. Um, so, but th then you think like, should this conduct, um, take out the word espionage act and the law itself, should this conduct be illegal? Um, I think that's, yeah. that's a way to, to sort of work your own um, uh, mind through it. And you can go ahead and apply that to Hillary Clinton as well. Should it be illegal? And what's your test for the illegality of it? Mm -hmm. um, for me, um, uh, I think that it's appropriate for uh, an ex-president or any other person who had access to sensitive secrets, not um, retain them and then serially not cough them back up when asked to give them back. Yeah. Um, and that there should be some remedy for that, especially if after when asked, they get in their, get their lawyer in and say, how can we not fulfill this request? Yeah, that's, the, that's, I mean, that's an enormous problem. And when you have Jonathan Turley, who's been a sort of rock rib Trump defender, um, on Twitter, in print on Fox news, on Fox news saying, um, if one of these counts, if he's convicted on one of these counts, he could go to jail for the rest of his natural life because he's 76 years old. That is you know, that's a guy that, that has been doing kind of cartwheels and, you know, these contortions to defend Trump for many years. And it looks to me, and it's particularly that thing, it's not about, you know, what, I mean, the documents themselves, I mean, if, if they do, um, if they're about Iran's nuclear capabilities, if they're about America's uh, defenses against, you know, blah, blah, blah. Battle plan. Ba battle plan. That's not, I mean. It's not this, cool. And I think the person who had the best kind of read on this, and I know, and I said this in a text stream with you guys today, I know it's performative. I know that Chris Christie has entered the race to be Trump's foil. I know that he personally 
despises Trump after being Trump's, trying to be Trump's lapdog and, and be humiliated. Humiliated. And, Absolutely. But you know what? That's what happens. You humiliate the guy's going to come back and fuck you up in a way, even if it's just a small glancing blow. That CNN town hall, I didn't watch the whole thing. I watched clips here and there, but he had a very good little riff on this unbelievable vanity and hubris. And that is what it is. It's not he's Julius Rosenberg. He's not Alger Hiss, right? <laughs> he's not Robert Hansen. And by the way, let's stop rooting for him to be, which I, I yes, think a lot of Democrats yes. have done. They like want yes. him to be selling these things to Putin yes. or the Saudis. No, don't no. root for that. Um, I don't think that he is. I think that we would have heard. Um, it would have been like referenced maybe a little bit in the in the indictment. It was not at all. Yeah. Um, he's brazen and he's careless. Um, and so the and and like in willful open defiance to federal subpoenas. Um, uh, in a way that, uh, that like you have to have some kind of response to, um, and as we were talked, talked about in the previous episode, does that response, um, let's say is shown to be guilty with all this. And again, we're seeing the best foot forward by the prosecution so mm -hmm. far without much of a defense. So take that all like that. Do you want to see a 76, 77 year old guy in prison for this? I don't. Um, and I, yeah, some listeners yeah, were I, mad I, at me for that and I'm sorry, yeah. but like I, my general, I'm, I'm actually, I, you know, occasionally admit this, uh, I'm kind of a libertarian people. Yeah. Um, and I don't think that people should really go to jail if they haven't punched you in the teeth and taken your wallet. Well, it's funny because I have softened on one issue in particular, and it's, it's, it's not because I've grown older and wiser or anything. I've just learned more about it, not the grown wiser thing and just sort of temperament. I've, you know, looked at the case over time and, and Vivek mentioned it is um, on the Julian Assange stuff. I have had to, over time, separate my absolute loathing of Julian Assange. I, personally, I it's find him a repulsive- so man. bone deep with It's you. bone deep. I just think he's a bad person, and I don't think that's what motivates him. I don't think he's a bad person because of what he did. I just think he's a bad person in general. You know, he hangs out with bad people and people that I find really, really repulsive. But at this point, Julian Assange in jail is um, just bizarre. Let him out. Point. Let him out. Let him out. Stop I mean, it really, really like, and I'm, I'm going to say this, like I have written, you know, really, but again, that was probably 15 years ago. 15 years of this is like, you know what? It's like, I almost have this thing when, when Germany has this policy of pursuing Nazi war criminals to the end of the earth. And I am in 100% sympathy with that. But then you see this like 102 year old guy being pushed in in a wheelchair and has no idea where he is. And I'm just like, what is the purpose of this? At this point, I mean, there is a thing like, it sucks that this guy won. It sucks that he evaded a capture for his entire life. And it's like Julian Assange, 15 years later, 20 years later, it's like not even 20 years, but 15 years later. It's like, I don't, I don't understand the purpose of this at this he point. He has served his sentence. He has served his sentence. And should he have surrendered uh, to justice in Sweden? Uh, yes, I, I believe he should have. Um, did the Swedish... Uh, authorities kind of pull back from that. They did. Um, should he be detained right now in the UK? Should he be extradited to the United States? No, he should not be. This is kind of absurd at this point. And I, I, and again, I don't, I do not like him. I, I met him uh, one time a long time ago, and it was right after he gave a speech in which he compared Guantanamo to Auschwitz. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, the, the Auschwitz, they weren't gaining weight. Uh, that was the opposite, actually. Um, that, that you know, and, and somebody who was like, I, I don't think there's any utility in, in Guantanamo at the point. It's not Auschwitz. I don't like the guy. I, I've already stressed that way too much. 
but um, but yeah, it's it's time to as a as a kind of weird digression, it's 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 time to to end that farce. No, and one of the things that's always been frustrating to me about people who uh, either occasion strange new respect for Donald Trump uh, and now are furiously attaching that to RFK. Barry Weiss is going to interview RFK. Did you see that? Yeah, I, I, I knew that. Yeah, it's going to be fan- yeah. Uh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. Um, but um, uh, people uh, who otherwise don't share a lot of politics with Donald Trump um, expressed a lot of hope for him, and those uh, sometimes tend to be the same people who are really, really anti-U.S. intervention yeah. and really, really in favor of uh, pardoning um, Julian Assange, uh, let alone uh, Snowden, Edward Snowden, um, and like Trump. That I have different feelings on, by the way, Snowden, just for the record. But but Trump just never delivered that. No, no, particularly when somebody who is like saying, I love WikiLeaks the best because there was stuff coming from WikiLeaks that was advantageous to Donald Trump at that moment. But again, that's not surprising because the man has no principles at all. He has no guiding ideology. He, you know, is attacking Ron DeSantis every day for, um, you know, wanting to cut Medicare which just slow the growth of Medicare spending and things like that. Yeah. And, you know, try to salvage a program that is almost unsalvageable at this point. Um, this is not a man who is any way a conservative. I don't understand why conservatives don't make this argument constantly. If you were up on the debate debate stage uh, to say like you people here voting in a primary are doing so because you're motivated as conservatives. This man is not even close to being a conservative. Nothing. I mean, he can, he can, you know, thunder about immigration, but you know, as Chris Christie said the other night, what the hell did he do? He said, oh, well, he's going to build it. He said, and Chris, Christie had a good line. I mean, these are very studied lines, but it doesn't make a difference if they're studied. They, they came off well, which is, you know, a quarter of a wall and not one peso. You know, Mexico's going to pay for it. And it's going to be a bit. He's correct. He's correct. And, you know, th- that crisis on the southern border, which Donald Trump is talking about, you had four years to do something about that. You did nothing. You did nothing. You did, well, you did things on the margins, but you did nothing that actually prevented that. There's a, so there's a really interesting test to the Moynihan theory, right? But uh, before uh, Vivek came on or even agreed to come on, um, you had sort of uh, uh, subtweeted him on this podcast by saying that- I did? In a way, by, oh. just by saying that people who are running for president against Donald Trump should run against Donald Trump. Yes. Right? So that, yeah. um, Vivek's not really running against Donald Trump that hard. No, no, he specifically said he's not running against them. Um, which, you know, <laughs> which he's, he's going to have to do because he's, he's running, running against, against him. Yeah. him. So he's kind of Ted Cruising a little bit um, um, from uh, uh, 2016. Uh, Chris Christie is doing what Moynihan the opposite, yeah. wants. Um, yeah, he's directly running against Trump. Yeah. Pence is doing it in his Pence way, uh, as much as a Pence can, can you know, as a vice president. You know, we yeah. did. We did the most conservative things ever in the history of conservatism, and we just which had, I had nothing to do with. We just had a disagreement <laughs> about jam- about I hanging me. Upheld my constitutional <laughs> duty to not hang myself. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So, but so it's 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 going to be weird. But let's see how the Christie thing sticks. Right, uh, I saw him not on the CNN town hall, but the night before on CNN, um, he was on. And he distilled in about a five-minute uh, uh, bite, wow, just the case uh, ab- about the indictment. Someone needs to make it. And it was – and he did it as a former prosecutor. He sort of like limbed the differences and how you know that this one has different evidentiary standards than the standard issue. But he was five minutes and it was convincing yeah. in the way that you know when you saw Chris Christie lambasting you know, uh, teachers' unions and stuff. 
um, not only because one might have um, antip- antipathy towards teachers' unions, but like just when he's at a, on top of his game, yeah. um, which we haven't seen in a while, um, he can be a pretty talented like speaker. Um, it was no, like, he's he's uh, a very good performer. I, I would I would uh, he's not a great politician. He's a good performer though. Yes, uh, uh, right. And his record as yeah, as I think there's a distinction. But was yeah, yeah. Uh, was a disappointment on on uh, quite a few levels. But so let's throw down a marker. It's June thirteenth or fourteenth. Right now, uh, Chris Christie is at about 1.3% in the polls. Yeah. Um, he's in number seven. And Vivek Ramaswamy is around 22 2.3% mm-hmm. in the polls, okay? So they have chosen these paths. Vivek literally this morning was doing a press conference telling every uh, presidential candidate to pardon, uh, announce that they're going to pardon uh, Donald Trump. I don't think that they're all going to be uh, joining his petition on that one necessarily. No, I mean, the best thing for them to do is just ignore it. Yes, I mean, they all they will. will. Yeah. Um, but and Christie just had a CNN town hall yeah. last night, June twelfth, uh, so or thirteenth. So um, let's watch how that happens, right? Let's look the next three weeks, four weeks, similar to when Trump Trump escalated in, into our lives in uh, July, I think, or June of uh, of twenty fifteen, um, and he said crazy things about Mexicans, and his poll numbers shot up. Yeah. Um, so. We will see like how this will uh, translate into the Republican electorate. I don't have a prediction about it. Um, uh, I'm very, very- I mean, look, the primary system is set up to destroy the Republican Party right now, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's- Everybody is going to out Trump, try to out Trump each other and, 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 you know, at least exist in the MAGA space, which is what actually is a bit refreshing about- about Christie. I don't, I mean, I don't think Christie has a shot in hell. I think he'll probably go up in the opinion polls because he's a good performer. And if he gets out there and makes his case against Donald Trump, that's what you have to do. Like, don't make it, you don't even have to make an affirmative case for America right now. You don't have to make, like, this is my policies. I mean, Donald Trump, you say like, what are you talking about? He's running for president. Donald Trump ran for president, is running for president, making no affirmative uh, uh, policy statements about anything. Right. He's just being Donald Trump. And you can get away with that. He did that for a long time. You can say some things like we're going to build it. He's just incredibly wild. We're going to build a wall. Mexico's going to pay for it. Nobody asks any details. Nobody fucking cares. Right. And Chris, he doesn't need to do that. Right. He just needs to go after Trump as somebody. And I think that when if people see that as being successful in any way, they'll start trying to fill that vacuum, too. I think I, mean, I think we, Nikki Haley's kind of creeping towards it just because she sees that this is a, a quixotic complete fool's errand. And it's like, all right, we'll try something new here. But to stand on principle, and again, this is not what Christie's doing. His is vengeance. But vengeance can be principled in some way, right? It can be smart vengeance. <laughs> it can be smart vengeance, right? And if more people do that, and you know, Vivek is the exact opposite of that. He's going full on America first stuff, which as any listener to this podcast knows is not something that, I mean, I, I will give him credit for one thing. Well, I give him credit for a couple things, but I think that his ideas about some of this stuff are completely unworkable and novel, but they're interesting. They're interesting and novel, but they're, they're, he's I mean, thought about it. He's thought about it, which I think is like something that the opposite of Donald Trump, right? <laughs> like he, Trump changes the, the, the subject, thunders against random people, says incredibly crazy and sometimes very funny things, but there's no through line there. So, but back to what I was saying, though, is, is that everybody knows this too, is that the, Primary process basically exists to make Republicans act stupid and then walk into a general and get flamed. There was a really interesting uh, comment from Trump's former lawyer um, when he was in the White House, Ty Cobb, Um, not the racist baseball player, but the- (laughs) Misunderstood. (laughs) Misunderstood baseball player. Camille's defending him from afar. (laughs) But the former lawyer who uh, 
was like asked about the documents and stuff and, and, and was very negative towards Trump on this, but then did kind of back up and say like, you know, he's got to win independent voters here and he's completely screwed. Yeah. Like, and this is the thing that is the most basic, boring, everybody knows this point, but nobody in the Republican universe seems to have figured out a plan on how to feign one way and go back to get independence in another way. It's not going to work. The only way that it works. So, uh, and I've mentioned this before, Trump was at parity basically with Hillary Clinton for yeah. independence in 2016. Yeah. That was the last time yeah. that Trump compared to a generic Democrat had anything close to 50% uh, support, uh, approval rating among independents. It's been in the 30s yeah. and the 20s. It's terrible. And it's why he lost last time. Yeah. Um, and so the only way that you're going to uh, get independence is if every first-time voting independent votes for Trump. Yes. So they haven't already voted yet. They're super stoked. You know, some of the, there is a, a young person backlash against wokeness. Uh, of course, yeah. Um, uh, like it's changing public opinion about stuff, but it's really hard to kind of imagine this happening. You mean in a general? In general. Um, in the primary, yeah. um, you're right that it's they're setting themselves up for, for losing and um, uh, a through line that I find to be effective. And I, I should like put a hyphen, a long, one of those triple long dashes here, which is that yeah, Michael wants, you know, Chris Christie to give uh, – or anyone to give Donald Trump a hard time. We will see whether that – If anything, is, just is more entertaining. It is way more entertaining. <laughs> it's like, he's pretty good at let's it. Let's not everyone agree. This is boring. But let's see whether Christie becomes the media's favorite candidate who does nothing. Absolutely true. Um, Absolutely true. I mean, you wrote a book about John McCain. I mean, this the media had their love affairs with John McCain at various points for being like the same – At almost right? every single point except for when he when, was actually he, running against running Rock, Rock Bar. Yeah. It's like, ah! Yeah. Yeah, it's when he's putting the thumbs down the and thumbs things down, like that. Great. Yeah, uh, or calling uh, Bush the evil empire. Um, but what was I talking about again? Michael Moynihan. We were talking oh, about yeah. primaries and primary primaries voting. and yeah. primaries. So uh, an effective line that Christie used at CNN town hall, and that DeSantis uses when he's not otherwise, you know, talking about the weaponization of the DOJ, is that, and this is true, people, Trump's a loser. He's a loser. That's what that's what Christie said. He went through every loss too. Which, by the way, if you say he's a loser, Expensive. if you say he's a loser, uh, great, okay, he's a loser. But when you do what Christie did, which is to say he's a loser, and then kind of enumerate every loss, and then saying, you know, we lost the house here, we lost this, it's, it's like it's effective. And you know, there's not a lot to say. I mean, that was the hard thing immediately after the election when I was out, and I've said this a million times. People saying, I'm like, do you want to throw your support? in 2024, or even at that point in 2021, behind a guy who just lost the White House for you and gave it to the man who you think is the most evil person alive, Joe Biden. And of course, the response is he didn't lose. Uh, okay, well, that's, that, you, you can't do that forever, right? That is done. I mean, even if you want to like relitigate that stuff, great, but that's a very small sliver of the population that wants to relitigate that stuff. How much power does Carrie Lake have right now? Exactly. And it's like, yeah, she's probably, you know, volu- you know, or, or just auditioning for being vice president. But, um, you know, <laughs> it's incredible that even a, she's a, a fucking loser herself in Arizona and used to be a local news anchor. Well, okay. But the thing about um, DeSantis's idea, and I think it was Henry Olson who had a piece about this in Washington Post today that the new strategy might be a winning one, and I'm open to that, is a smarter version of going out there with a piece of paper and saying, pardon him. 
which I don't think is a smart idea. As I said to Vivek, it's, you know, jury nullification is not going to bring the country together. I think that probably has the opposite effect. But if you go in a very kind of guarded way and say, look, I'm going to depoliticize the DOJ and the FBI and maybe move them out of Washington, D.C., I mean, that's a pretty interesting idea. All people have to do is to see the headquarters of the FBI in Washington, yeah, yeah, exactly. D.C., <laughs> the J. Edgar Hoover building. They literally call it that and yes. look at it. It is the yeah. most horrid example of yeah. brutalist architecture. Yeah, it should be called the Peter Strzok building. <laughs> in the non-communist world. Yeah. It's like, I mean, I think that's an interesting idea. I'm not fully behind it, but as far as like, you know, I think DeSantis is being advised in a reasonable way now. We'll see how this it turns out. But if you go, I mean, he's trying to tread this line. I don't think it's going to work in the long run, which is to be not go after Trump, but to go after Trump in a kind of quiet way. And we saw that for a long time by not mentioning his name and just slowly kind of chip, 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 chip. But I mean, Trump is going out there just throwing thunderbolts at him and calling him every name in the book. But there's a point at which, and I think that's when the election, the, the primary election gets interesting, is when everyone realizes that that soft touch with Trump is not going to work. When everyone turns, it, it's kind of like, you know, everyone should conspire together and be like, all right, guys, we're all going to attack him tonight on the debate stage if he even shows up. But, you know, well, it, I think it, there's also um, uh, people tend to overnationalize every moment in politics and politics in general. And primary election, presidential election campaigns are weird because of yeah. Iowa and New Hampshire yeah. um, and early states. And you can actually do. Um, pretty interesting, strong things on the ground there that yeah. change the way that people look at the race. Yeah. And DeSantis uh, working Iowa and working New Hampshire, Trump's going to work at, you know, uh, uh, Ken Lane <laughs> sent me, and I don't, I'm not talking out of school, but he sent me the, uh, uh, some pictures or videos of uh, Trump uh, working a Waffle House. And like, no one's going to out Waffle House nope. Donald Trump. Nope. He's going to slaughter you. Yep. You've lost. Yep. Don't even try. Yep. Um, but but uh, in 2016, that was without any baggage. That was Donald Trump being a comic and being a glad hander and being interesting and being an outsider. And now he's the guy who never drained the swamp, you know? Yes. And expanded also, the swamp. And also, um, you can, you know, he's not going to have the same amount of energy. Yeah. Uh, a, a thing that really uh, comes off of Vivek is that he's, he is 37 and he is fit. He's ready to do some, some, some burpees. Um, and, and like, you know, he was talking about like being on the road a lot. Um, I followed uh, Ralph Nader around in 19, Ralph is still with us. He is. Yeah. God knows yeah. how old he's he 107. is. He's 107. Yes. <laughs> I remember following him around. I covered yeah. his. He's uh, driving a Corvair around. <laughs> his 2000 <laughs> campaign. He's driving a gremlin. Um, <laughs> and, uh, it strikes you and that was young and in, in 2000, yeah, not young sure. now, like, Boy, this is not a, a an old person's game. Yeah. Um, to do the glad handing uh, required. DeSantis, former baseball player. Yeah, I just think that that you know, I just think people have this wrong about DeSantis in some way. And you know, I, I went down and did that thing uh, with DeSantis. The truth thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I saw um, it was like there in the like sure. neons. Oh, for sure. Instead I, of Wonder Rama, it said truth. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I was wearing a T-shirt that said truth, and it lit up every time <laughs> I spoke. Um, and it's funny because people are like, "Oh, you're." I, I, it's like I have literally no opinion about anybody in the Republican uh, field other than looking at it from a political perspective. Like I probably couldn't even tell you beyond the woke stuff and some, you know, the, the recent stuff about the DOJ what this campaign is about. What I do pay attention to is people making these broad statements 
about DeSantis prior to him actually entering the race as a real candidate and like, oh, he's getting he's getting killed by Trump and look at these numbers. It's like, well, yeah, you dummies. When you first mention him as a possible candidate, he's going to go up in the polls and then he doesn't announce and he goes down in the polls. I mean, there's nothing complicated about this. I don't know why. I think it's because on on talk radio and on um, cable news, you always have to have something to talk about and there's nothing happening. Like indictments, remember what happened with, with um, Alvin Bragg's indictment? Nothing happened. We didn't see him. So they were just talking about, and there's uh, people on the sidewalk and then the sidewalk looks a bit windy in New York. It's like literally hours of nothing conversation. And so you have to have this nothing conversation. And then of course, uh, DeSantis actually joins the race and you see a little uptick in his polls in Iowa. And he goes to Iowa. You see a more, more of an uptick. People are persuadable by someone showing up. The thing that uh, I think people often misunderstand about him not misunderstand, but I, I, it's not misunderstanding. It's, it's, I think they overemphasize a lack of charisma that nobody would ever, ever mention if Donald Trump didn't exist. You're comparing him to Trump. He is nothing compared to Trump when he's on the rope line. Nothing. No one can compete with that. It's like being a comic actor versus being Richard Pryor. Bill Clinton was a mean rope line. And he was incredible. As was George W. Bush. George W. Bush was very good. People loved him. People who hated him loved him when they met him. And that's yep. always been the case. And like every person I ever met, I, I knew who knew him or met him after his presidency, especially when he's in Houston painting fucking dogs. They were like, <laughs> this guy's like the nicest dude in the world. He's actually smarter than I ever thought he was. I probably said this once before, but I went to uh, the uh, two. 2000 California debate between George W. Bush, crazy Alan Keyes, and uh, a piped in John McCain. <laughs> Alan Keyes, good God. Yeah. Who's taller than anything? Um, Did he have a show on MSNBC at one point? I believe so, yes. That's wild. Did, I, bet, I bet MSNBC doesn't want to remember that. As did Tucker Carlson. I was just yeah. writing about that today. Um, but it, it was in a small room in the former executive uh, suites at the LA Times back when it was a global concern. And, uh, and there was only, it was like a square room and, um, there was only one or two people or one, or, like the, the crowd was only one or two or three deep on, on each side of the square. And I was like doing my level best to get in the third row and then shrink and like try to hide behind like, uh, the small gal because I didn't want George W. Bush to work me because mm -hmm. I saw him working the entire yeah, room yeah, 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 yeah. and he like drinks in your information in a half a moment comes up with a nickname yeah like everyone's yeah. like stretch yeah 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 <laughs> what's up dick balls like what what that doesn't even mean anything that's the weirdest thing i've ever heard he's like yeah it sticks that's it it was amazing what was uh cheney turd blossom turd blossom that's amazing <laughs> like it's just insane it's like literally insane it's like all right fine turd blossom and i i managed to avoid it uh but uh you could see like yeah, absolutely yeah. just like if you've seen clinton bill uh not hillary um, in a room, it's stunning. It's stunning. Like, his animal intelligence is is off the charts. But when you have um, J Joe Biden and Donald Trump, I think there's a point when voters are going to say, um, yeah, I'm dazzled by this person. They're a great actor. They're a great performer. Um, but how far has that gotten us? Um, the, the performance of Donald Trump was a performance with no payoff. There was no conclusion of that play, which I was like, you know, giving a standing ovation. It was like, it just kind of ended and nothing really happened. Biden. Oh, that's what you're calling January 6th? Nothing? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm. I'm yeah. Wow. Yeah. Both sides is. I'm calling that freedom. I'm calling that <laughs> an exercise of American freedom. Okay. Um, Nobody. I mean, if personality is so much, why the fuck did Joe Biden win? 
Joe Biden has negative amounts of personality in his life. Like he's trying to perform as a politician and he's literally just walking around in circles talking about corn pop. That is not why he won. It's he won because he was not the other guy. Yeah. And now he's the guy where the opponent's going to be not the other guy. And if that's Ron DeSantis, if that is Vivek, if that is a Tim Scott, it's like they have a great Donald Trump is they're they're two other guys. They're the two guys that have a record of bad governance. You saw there was a poll, I think, that came out today or yesterday of approval ratings of, of both Biden and Trump. Yeah. And it was, they're both roughly- Battle like for the basement, right? 32%. It's insane. And then like 53 We live higher. in a fucking world where the two major, effect, effectively only political parties are conspiring to run two people- whose approval ratings are low 30s. Think about that. That is so nuts. That is so fucking nuts. Imagine just the little advantage you have running a guy who has a 50% approval rating. Imagine that. Independence, things like that, you know, suburban, exurban moms. 20% difference, 30% to 50%. That is an election. That's, a, that's an election, but they, it's not going to happen. It would be, in that case like the most advantageous situation yes. for a third party. One would think. We had seen um, probably since 1980. <laughs> RFK is going to run. So when RFK runs as a libertarian, yeah. which, you know what? Run in the warble party. Coin toss at this point, honestly. I mean, good, like libertarians <laughs> somehow seem to love the guy. I don't know what the hell happened. Uh, it's, it's not that Republicans have no principles. Nobody has any principles. It's crazy. No, there's no third party right now that is no. like ready to, I mean, the Green Party, you would think, would uh, would be happy Does, with I mean, uh, would you ever think that we were going to see the day where they say there's no Jill Stein? <laughs> there's no Gary Johnson? People I mean, can chip away 1%, 2% in close races? That's a lot. I mean, who is that? Why don't we have this sort of more European uh, idea where there's coalitions and people that can actually chip away from? I mean, it would be fantastic. I would be so happy, even if it was a crazy person, um, just to kind of chip away at this these two morons. I mean, look, Donald Trump was indicted today. He might go to prison. That is not, you know, what Rachel Maddow was saying in 2017, which was hopeful. That is just realistic, that that is a real possibility. And we still haven't seen the one that really matters. Uh, oh, the Georgia one? Georgia. Yeah, yeah. Case. Yeah, it's actually about like maybe using the federal government, the bully pulpit to influence the way that the election was counted. That this is one matters a bit more than moving boxes. 100%. And it's also, it, it's funny because I've talked to people about this who make an argument and people who understand the law on this. And I, I'm, I'm admitting that I don't understand the specific laws about this, but who say that, look, this is a free speech case. Donald Trump is saying like, look, you know, if you can find that stuff, it'd be great. It's not an order. It's not, there's no quid pro quo. There's not some idea that there's going to be repercussions for you. So therefore, no, 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 stop, 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 stop. It doesn't matter. Literally, it doesn't matter if it's illegal or free speech. There's free speech stuff that's terrifying. And that stuff is free speech that's terrifying. And I want it to be free. I want it, great, great. He can say it. He shouldn't go to jail for it. Okay. It's kind of disqualifying as a president though, to call up somebody and say, hey, I lost. Can you figure out how I can win? No, no, but you lost. I, I know, but let's figure out how I can win. That's kind of disturbing, right? And we just got delivered booze. Oh my God. I'm a shaker. Like I need more of that at, a, at five o'clock. <laughs>
I like this system. Yeah, I like the system too. Like earlier today, the studio was not delivering for us. No, no, it's definitely delivering for us now. Literally, the yes, Tascam like that. that we record. Yeah, on. which has no screen, and we thought it was going to work. Yeah, are you recording through the Tascam right now? Yeah, we are. We are indeed. Okay. Um, but yeah, anyway, anyway, so that's we we don't need to talk about this stuff forever. Is there anything else? I mean, Cormac McCarthy died, but we'll wait till Camille. Camille will will deliver the we'll eulogy. Do, he'll deliver the eulogy. His tears. That's really rough. Um, any other stories that uh, there was a, a trans woman who took her top off at the White House? That's exciting. Exciting. A um, lot of people really mad at the level of the pride flag at uh, I think the White House or some other Washington building. I, I was in L.A. last week or a couple of days ago, actually. And there was a pride, the pride, I don't know, festival or something's going on in Santa Monica Boulevard. I did the thing that nobody does in LA, which is, which is codified in a, in a pop song. Walking Walks. in LA. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but only a nobody walks in LA after nobody walks in LA. Absolutely true. By and way. by the way, when I said to people who are fit people that I just walked five and a half miles, uh, it took me, you know, hour and a half, maybe two hours, something like that. Cause I just wanted to get up. Um, they were like, what? are you mentally ill? And I'm like, no, but there's a sidewalk. It was fun. It was great. I went through this. Did you at least walk on Santa Monica Boulevard? I did. I was, well, I was, and then I was on Melrose for most of it, but this is how we do it. People. Yeah. Then you go on the one one. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's a Fred Armisen sketch. Um, but I, the funny thing about that was I was walking and you know, there's the flags everywhere and the flag is expanded. Oh Yeah. And, and it was explained to me that the flag is expanded. There's a trans flag that is within the flag, right? So it's a triangle. A triangle, yeah. Yeah, it, it, it looks like a fake African country at this point. There's like a triangle and stripes and all this stuff. I'm like, is this Zamunda? I think it's Mauritius. <laughs> this is coming to America's Zamunda. It's the Zamunda flag. And then there's a black line that separates the two, which is apparently there for black trans lives uh, matter. They do. Yeah, uh, because apparently somebody's arguing that they don't. I, I'm not sure. I'm not paying attention. But that flag, and then there was a, uh, <laughs> I was looking this up. So I didn't understand all the the layers and the colors and the stripes and the rest of it. That there was one in the UK that there was an interview on BBC because the state-funded broadcaster in the UK has nothing better to talk about than a person who has added an element to the triangle. There's a circle in the triangle. So there's a square, there's diamonds, there's, there's the, the circle within the thing. And it was for, I think, intersex. And pretty soon right. that, y- you know, you're putting all these colors together and they just become one. There's, they're trying to find space in this flag. It's going to be like the fucking AIDS quilt. It's going to have to be so big to include everybody. But now there's a new flag. I just wanted to tell you this. I didn't see this one in LA, but in the UK, there's a new flag and it, it um, includes intersex people. I have a question about the flag and I'm hoping you can answer. Hmm. Um, the A. Nobody even, everybody knows the. So it's LGBT. And you have to go through it, right? Q. Yeah. yeah. I, A plus plus? Yeah, A is asexual. Oh, we, we were just talking about this at home. Yeah, yeah. You're like, what's the A? Yeah, 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 it's asexual. And I, I, I posited it. Is that, that an identity if you just like don't like fucking? <laughs> is, that, is that, I don't, don't send me mail and be like, I'm a proud asexual. I just, I'm, you, you know, allow us to ask questions. I'm confused by the asexual. I would think. Asexual is like it's I've is known that some identity. A, I've is known some some asexuals in my in my time. Some uh, not asexual bars. There's gay my, bars. My favorite lesbian bars. There's trans bars. Are asexual, but um, I I'm the opposite of that. They should put an H in there. I'm hypersexual. <laughs> <laughs> you don't As get a, a flag. I should. I have my own flag with you a huge H. You just get H. like 
condoms. Yeah, well, they, they should be pictures suit. of it on the flag. Um, I think <laughs> the point of being asexual is to not be all the time about the sex. Yeah, but that's like that's like having kids. That's like being married. <laughs> it's like a married person. Well, you don't like, know that when you're young. Yeah, yeah, but that's yeah. asexual. It's like I'm married and this guy got fat and like I don't like him anymore and he's a bad dad. That's asexual. I don't get a fucking flag for it. You just get a divorce, right? And you try to find somebody else. Rip the flag down and try to try something new. That's all I'm saying. I don't know. So I was trying to decide for this flag. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there's so many people like mad about this flag. I'm not mad. I'm just confused. I just don't. And I said to uh, our friend Camille Foster, who was in LA at the same time, and we had breakfast. Did you really? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It was in the same time. And we had you breakfast. didn't Zoom call me and like uh, and FaceTime me? It was like, because of the time change, it was like six in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> we, were, we were like up having breakfast and we were walking and there were these flags everywhere. And I said to him, and he couldn't imagine that this was true. I said, I remember when the acronym was LGB. It was before the T. Yeah. And then the T was added and that right. became... And then I don't even know what it means. And I know the cadence is LBGTQIA. Yeah. And it's like, at this point, it's like, there's a lot, there's a lot going on there. It's a plus, but I think they're going to the like, plus? do a, well, it's just like the rest of them. It's like for the people we didn't don't name. Don't try to cover everything. Just be like, yeah, no, we I like think, you. I think they're going to add pluses. It's going to be plus, plus, it be like a coder language. But what, what is the plus? But who's in the plus? Like, what haven't we covered? <laughs> just an honest question. Dude, like- <laughs> Among our listeners, there's going to be several. Pluses. Oh my god! Gravel cyclists. There is literally an asexual who's not masturbating right now, who's like writing an angry email. It's like I would be, but I'm the a. I'm the a. I don't. I'm not interested. And I send them like a, a pic, and they're like, "Nope, I don't care." I'm just imagining uh, Vivek uh, Ramaswamy's team. Like, my god, we have to listen to the end of this. No, you should. You should turn this off. <laughs> you should absolutely turn this off. Um, yeah, by the we, way, by we, the way we, like, we, if I have one criticism of Vivek, yeah, um, yeah. Uh, again, very good dresser, super white shirts. Yeah. There's a little bit of the humble brag when he's like writing a book every six months and being like a super dad and like doing all I the I mean, things. the guy went to Harvard and Yale. As, as like DeSantis. DeSantis. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, yeah like, uh, you He's could, the elite. He, he sold his company for $600 million. He just works, he works a little bit too hard. <laughs> like, scale it back. He's just running for president. You got to. All right. You got to talk about, like, it's not like going on a first date when you're like, I'm the best. If you did that in a first date, like, I am amazing. Do you have any idea how amazing I am? People would be like, I'm, I'm leaving. But, you know, I'm going to, you know, do a trade war with China. You should probably tell me everything about yourself. <laughs> but, you know, I mean. He's a nice guy. He's a nice guy. He's a nice guy. But he did leave very fast. It was very fast. Well, they, he, they came in here like three times oh my to, God. Touch, to yeah. do the shoulder touch. Yeah. Like they opened the door, people. I want you to know. Yeah, yeah. Like our studio is small. Yeah. Uh, the booze door, the booze room is just on the other side of this door. Yeah, they're in the booze room. They're yeah. knocking them back. They were very unhappy about being in the booze room. Yeah, they came in and said, um, I have had, I have an outtake <laughs> of an interview that I did. <laughs> it's true, actually. I should probably post it somewhere. In which uh, someone kept interrupting in the same way, and I lost my mind on them. Oh, I was no. like, would you get the fuck out of here? Oh, no. And it was like the person I was interviewing was like frozen. And I think it probably ended about that point. But I was just like, so, because everything I asked, they, the, the handlers tried to control. And this was not even in America, by the way. This was in a foreign country. And I would say, like, you know, you said this crazy thing. And then they'd be like, actually, off mic, actually, you know what? And I was like, stop, stop, stop. And then, so when the people come in, um, I cannot, I have like PTSD from it, but
But typically, and this didn't happen here, is that politicians, they will sit in the room with you. And they will, when something goes pear-shaped, if some, they will stop it. When he gets big. Um, yeah, but that, that will happen. These, these are very, the people that were with him are very, very nice, sweet. very, very young. Um, but they weren't the jaded, angry uh, handlers. And they said 30 or 35, and I said, great, 45. Yeah, and we did 45. So that was, that was fine. That was, yeah. that was fine. Um, anything else going on in the world, Matt? I think that uh, there is other things, but uh, we can we – can, we, can, we Should we leave it at that? Let's uh, leave it there. Um, we're going to have our uh, – for subscribers, for paying subscribers. Yes. Uh, speaking of which, uh, Moynihan, if you haven't been in the comments, there was a oh, no. recent thread of Jesus. suggestions over who are the hot uh, heads of state – and foreign ministers. Oh, foreign now that Sadamaran has been yes, ousted uh, in Finland. Who uh, should be objects of your interest? She's the only one. Oh. No, no. Everybody. Wow. She's a social democrat. It's your Her first... policies are, are, are bad. But I would become a, I would get a tattoo of Rosa Luxemburg on my stomach if she would divorce her husband. And I think they might, she might be getting divorced. I'm not sure. <laughs> Sadamaran is my, is my, is my girl. I love her. Finally, monogamy hits Michael Monahan. Uh, I didn't say that. <laughs> Let's not. I mean, if the Norwegians elected somebody hot, I'd be like, yeah. I, I have a train to catch to Oslo. <laughs> it's going to go up the top and down. Oh, up through Finland and all the way down to, uh, yeah, that's different. Um, uh, but in addition to that, so. Who, who is the suggestion? Uh, there were several, so. Oh, which one did you find most convincing? I didn't uh, Google image search, so it's kind of hard to say. Do you remember any of them off the top of your head? There was a, there was a, there was an Italian. Giorgio Maloney? Yeah, I think so, yeah. I, yeah. I mean, it's Italians. It's like, with the Italians, it's like they don't even have, they could be like, you know, sort of in the middle somewhere, but they're fiery and it's exciting. I feel like there's at least one other Scando or Northern European in there. Yeah, I'd be probably. wrong about that. Probably. Um, but no, I, I brought this up not for that, but just to say <laughs> that as subscribers to this fine podcast, which- yeah. Uh, like paying subscribers, which you all should yeah, be. Exactly. Um, uh, we have a, usually the second Sunday of every month, we uh, tape a members only podcast in which everyone can zoom in who pays. Um, it's going to be the third Sunday. So it's this upcoming Sunday. So mm -hmm. um, get ready for it. We don't know what time yet, but um, it's going to happen. It's going to be Father's Day. It's, oh shit. That's right. Yeah. 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 Is, are we doing that on Father's Day? Okay. We don't have a choice because I said yeah. that we're going to do it. So. All right. All right. It's we'll do that on Father's Day. All of you, I mean, we, I think we index for uh, higher than most for deadbeat dad. So it's going to be fine. <laughs> All right. That was fun. Yeah, it was. Okay. Bye. Bye. We, we, we know of new methods of attack. <laughs>